Hey, Polygon Showed listeners, Chelsea Stark here. I'm here to present a special episode. A couple weeks ago at San Diego Comic-Con, I had the chance to sit down with Gendy Tartakovsky, who created shows like Samurai Jack and Dexter's Lab and the Hotel Transylvania movies. Uh, I mean, just kind of an incredible animator, one of the masters in his field. He has a show coming to Adult Swim called Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal this fall, which looks incredible. We had a 45-minute chat um, in front of an audience at San Diego Comic-Con, and you're going to hear the whole thing. Um, before we get into it, I just want to say a special thanks to the TCL Chinese Theater, who was so nice to give us the event space. Also wanted to give a special thanks to um, Polygon's network director, Andrew Melozak, for setting all of this up, as well as producer Ross Miller and our editor, Jelani Carter. So without further ado, here is my interview with Gendy Tartakovsky. Enjoy. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. My name is Chelsea Stark. I'm the managing editor of Polygon and also one of the co-hosts of The Polygon Show. Thank you. Um, I am so, so excited to be here with Gendy Tartakovsky, creator of so many shows and movies and amazing things that you all love. I really were, he was just showing off Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal, which is coming to Adult Swim in October. Um, I actually want to dive in right and talk about Primal. So can you, in your own words, explain the series? So it's basically uh, kind of a, a pulpy type of um, you know, action adventure story of a caveman and a dinosaur who share a similar tragedy, and it bonds them to survive the primordial world together. Awesome. So I think we don't have a... I know that you showed the episode or the first episode at, yes. at your panel, but I want to at least show the trailer so people can get a feel if they haven't seen anything. Here we go. Why need sound when this Foley work is way better, right, y'all? Yes. This is amazing. Um, so I I got to watch the first episode, and I would describe it as bleak. I mean, why did you want to take a show in this kind of direction? Well, I think, um, I mean, I think, you know, uh, it kind of went there naturally where you want it to be very unique. And because there's no dialogue, you want it to be visceral. And... Also, you just want to kind of take your time. That was the biggest thing that I wanted to do. I didn't want to rush through everything because, you know, if you watch modern day animation, it is an assault on your senses. You know, there's talking, everybody's kind of yelling, there's a lot of music. And I, I feel like and maybe it just comes that I'm, I'm an old man or something, but I can't relax. And, and so this cartoon is really done in a classic sense where you really get drawn in and it kind of sucks you in. And one thing that started to happen because of the no dialogue, people are kind of forced to pay attention, you know? Because half the time I know people are texting or whatever they're doing, right? And so you could hear the radio show and you can still keep up. But if you don't watch uh, the show, you're not, gonna, you're not gonna understand it at all. And so we've had screenings where people are watching it and they forget that they're eating lunch or whatever and they're just kind of sucked in. 
you know, so I think the bleakness, as you say, I think it's a, there's a simplicity to it. And it's very, um, I mean, I like to say that it's clean. You know, there's, and it's, you know, through the years of doing everything, we've been able to, to focus in our storytelling better, you know, and, uh, and let things just kind of relax and, and unfold. I like that you say relax and unfold, and this is like very much a violent cartoon. <laughs> and, and you're saying that this is like a relaxing thing, and yet there's, I mean, like the first episode is full of blood, and I imagine it continues through the series. Yes, yeah. But we didn't want to do just violence for violence. You know, there's like if you dissect it, there's not that much violence. Uh, but, but when it does come, it's very intense, you know. And I know that we don't kind of, we keep you in it the whole way through. There's no relief point where you're like, ah, oh, everything's going to be fine. You're kind of like, oh crap, this is still going. Now, I mean, when when you when you think about a relief point, there are so many. I mean, happy media and escapism is kind of what people are seeking right now. But this this feels like it's very raw. Where is that coming from in you and your creation? I think just to, um, I mean, it's an interesting question. I think it's to be, I think to get the energy, right? Because you want everything that you do to have some kind of energy. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's just kind of blah. Um, it doesn't mean anything. So the the rawness is the you know the, the execution of the ideas, and that's, they're very simple. You know they're very simple ideas, but it takes you know 22 minutes to fully realize them and fully com uh, communicate them. You know, and there's a there's a big difference between obviously between animation and live action. But when you watch live action timing, you can hold on somebody's face, and that actor's face can emote for you know 20, 30 seconds. You know. In animation, we're trained almost because we we don't have a camera, we don't have a character, a live action person emoting so subtly. You want to just get off of him or her really quick, right? So our holds might be two seconds, three seconds at the most, you know. And I've worked with other studios uh, in my early days, and everything is just zip, 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 zip. You know, like a you know a, a normal establishing pan. It's going to be three and a half seconds. That's the formula, and get out. You know. And I'm like, oh, but you don't feel it. You just go over, you know? And so from Jack, from Dexter, I started to really work on trying to communicate ideas. Because that's my job as a director is to communicate and, um, and to, to make you feel something. So if you're watching a horizon, it's slow enough and the music is right or the sound effects is right that you're, you're really feeling the wind and you're feeling the softness. And, and good cinema does that but it's very rare in animation. Why do you think nobody else does animation like you? Oh, they're not good enough. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, it's um, you know, directing is something that I've been learning through my whole career and making a lot of mistakes and, and watching something and realizing what, what makes it good and trying to dissect it. You know, especially like when we were doing Clone Wars, we were, we had to, <laughs> thanks. We had to ask ourselves, what, what is Star Wars? Like, what is the essence of Star Wars? And what is that feeling that we're trying to communicate? And we're actually, we were trying to give you the same feeling, you know, as we did when we were younger. And so it's, so directing is that thing, is trying to communi communicate a feeling. I feel like I'm going way off track from no. the initial question. <laughs> but what it is, but so the difference between, so the filmmakers and animation, they don't a lot of times come from live action. And so, we're doing a caricature, right? So number one, nobody's doing storytelling like this, where you can really take time to breathe. Number two, it's nobody else in this industry would make this cartoon besides Adult Swim. 
And the only reason they're making it is because I have a huge relationship with them dating back from the beginning of Cartoon Network. And so there's this trust, right? And so maybe people want to make stuff like this, but they just can't. Because uh, making films, making TV is a brutal fight to get your ideas across, right? And everybody's job that you're working with, besides your team, is to water it down and to change it, <laughs> even though they hire you. And this is just the reality, because they're worried about the business, you're worried about the creative, right? And so your job is to have enough conviction to sell your ideas, right? And that is my job. How do you sell a show like Primal if it is, I mean, it is raw. Right. Yeah, like how do you let, like how do you get someone to take a chance on that? Well, I did it with visuals. Like even though, so my boss, Mike Lazo, who I've known since Dexter, he's the one who greenlit Dexter. So we've had that whole relationship of trust and building together, right? Uh, I didn't just tell him. I, I storyboarded the first episode and I pitched it, kind of like what I was doing here. I kind of beatboxed my way through the pitch. And, and then he watched it and he was like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, and this was coming off of the last season of Samurai Jack where we already were successful with more of the visual style of storytelling and for mature audiences and there was an audience for it. I would actually like to dive back all the way back to Dexter or back to that time in adult well, Cartoon Network, because Adult Swim didn't even exist. I first learned about you, I must have been early teens, I saw you on Space Ghost Coast to Coast, <laughs> yeah. which is very random, and you and Craig McCracken and other animators were pitching your cartoon to Space Ghost, which yeah. was so weird and surreal. I rewatched this to make sure I hadn't dreamed it. Uh, but what, can you tell me, like, it seemed like a kind of Wild West days, but Cartoon ne Network really wanted to support young talent. Tell me about that time. Yeah, it was a great time. It was very, you know, I was very, very lucky to be, um, before Cartoon Network was Hanna-Barbera, you know, so we just did Two Stupid Dogs, which was a slog, and it was kind of, you know, um, not that original. We were just trying to do what we kind of do. And then they were starting the network at the time, and they were, they had the idea to basically say, okay, we're going to do 48 shorts, and you do it. We're not going to give you notes or we will, but it's up to you to listen to it. And if you succeed, you're gonna succeed on your own. Or if you fail, you're gonna fail on your own, right? That was their thought. To, to find the new creators. Now, this is 1994, five. So back then, there were, you know, obviously no Steven's Universe, no Adventure Time, nobody young. Everybody was in their 40s, 50s making shows. And uh, probably besides maybe like Ren and Stimpy, or a few exceptions uh, like that. So it's a very different time in the industry. So, uh, so we, I had a student film that I made. Uh, they said, can you pitch it as a seven minute cartoon? I was like, sure. I pitched it and uh, they wanted to make it. And of course, right after they said they want to make it, I got taken to the head executive's room and he gave me half an hour worth of notes on a seven minute cartoon. You know, And all the notes were breaking what I wanted to do. And I was coming from I was coming from where the, the producer of Two Stupid Dogs was changing all my stuff. So I was like, I, never, I don't know if my things are going to work. You know, the more cinematic camera, the melodrama, all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I said, uh, you know, he gave me all the notes. I walked out, and my producer, and I said, do I have to do all these notes? He's like, well, you know, he's been in the industry a long time. You should probably listen to him. And I said, well, I don't have to do them. And he goes, no, you don't have to do them. 
And so I didn't do one note, and then basically the, you know, the rest was history. And the, what the great thing was is that they supported me. And at the same time, it was like, a, you know, it was the best timing as the network was growing. They're trying to figure out what Cartoon Network is. I mean, Dexter premiered to like 12 million people. It was nothing. Yeah. You know? Before that, it was all old Turner shows that they are like Hanna Barbera shows that were taken from the vault, basically. Yeah, it was the number one shows were Scooby Doo and Tom and Jerry. And it took Dexter, once to get greenlit, it took him like two or three years to actually beat them in the ratings. And which is hard to swallow. It's like, oh, a 40 year old show is beating our new show, you know? But there's obviously an emotional bond to those old shows, and it takes, it takes a show a while back then to really grow on you. You know, like we used to say, it takes six episodes to figure out what the heck you have. And then it takes a few years and replay and people really trying to find it to start falling in love with it. I mean, and what do you remember the note that you didn't take? From the original Dexter short? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember some. So uh, there was one where the mom was walking upstairs. I don't know how many of you guys know the pilot for Dexter. It was the one where they change into all the different animals. Right, that was the first one. So when, when the mom was walking upstairs at the end of the cartoon, uh, they were changing each other. So you lose track of who's who, right? So they're just different animals. And the guy's idea was, oh, her hair should change color because it's getting side affected by all the magic upstairs. Huh. And it was like, well, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. And she's supposed to be the drama coming up and the funny is between them changing. So it has nothing to do with anything. You know, and it would change and it would just it would drive me insane. That feels like know? such a that feels like a dated note too. I mean it was ninety three, but yes, that like feels so old. Like, oh, there should be this like weird character change kind of like yeah, not related to anything. Yeah, it's 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 completely absurd and has nothing to do with anything. And at the end of the day, even if I did it, what did that matter besides this person's note that I had to do? You know? I actually have a really good quote from you from 2017. You were talking about all the changes they tried to force on Samurai Jack. And you said you've listed comedy, a sidekick, twists, like all of like less action, all of these things that like for the movie. Oh, for the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. This was when uh, for a little while they wanted to make Samurai Jack uh, either a live action movie or an animated movie and they came in with the movie rules. You know, that's what that was about. And basically, you have to follow the formula when you're making a movie. And I said, but everything that you guys have come to this, that brought you here to want this project, you want me to get rid of. So how does that make any sense? I mean, that's just wild. But are you overall, Samurai Jack, obviously, like, we had, we saw it two years ago now, the last season, the final yes, season. Yes, yes. Do you feel like 30 Minutes was also challenging in its own right to tell that story? Well, 10 episodes, 30 minutes each. Yeah, it was like it was challenging and not challenging. And it, it, it always was going to be a bittersweet end. That was always the, there was no way a samurai is going to receive a happy ending. And I, th I know a lot of people were upset or whatever, but this was my intent. And, you know, that's the great thing about having your own show. I could do whatever I want. <laughs> and, uh, for, and I take the negative criticism and I take the positive criticism. I wouldn't have done anything different. You know, you're, you're always, you want to go through your life without regrets, right? Even with something like doing these shows. And I never wanted, I always wanted to work as much as I possibly can to make it as great as I could. And uh, so I could never look back and go like, oh, you know, I wish I could have worked a week extra on this. It was impossible. 
you know, and I can say that all the way from the first short of Dexter. That's awesome. What, what, like, talking back and looking back, you've obviously had things that were maybe false starts or shows that just didn't make it longer, like I was thinking Symbiotic Titan. Like, what do you learn from those kind of failures? Well, I think I'm not learning the right things from them. <laughs> I get angry. <laughs> and I'm very competitive, and I feel like it's a disjustice and disservice, and I never take it the right way. Uh, sometimes a show doesn't connect, you know? Uh, sometimes it doesn't, it's sometimes our fault as filmmakers, like we didn't do something right to have that show click. Sometimes, you know, Jack didn't really become popular until after. It grew its audience so slowly. And they used to tell me when the DVDs came out, they were like, it's so weird, every month we sell more DVDs. And that's very unusual, and basically I think what that meant is there was a word of mouth. Like some people discovered it, they told their friends, and they did, you know, and they bought it, and so it went on and on like this. And so by the time we get to 2010 or 12, there's like a fever, and no matter where I went in the world, it was all about Samurai Jack. I saw, I, I remember you doing a Reddit AMA in 2012, and it was like every other question was, where is Jack, when is Jack coming back? Was there any point where you were like, you felt like, the fan expectations actually got to be a lot. I mean, it seems like criticism doesn't bother you. So I'm no, it was it was never a lot, and it's like, and I'm limited to what I could do, mm. you know. And I, I because for probably I don't know five or six years, we we're trying to make a movie, you know, with four different producers, and each time it got into that same problem where they wouldn't let it be what it wanted to be, mm. you know. And so, and I didn't want to, I didn't need it to be a movie. Right, it was. I didn't need to pay my mortgage because of it. I always had a job, so that way I wasn't pressured to sacrifice everything. You could say no. Creatively, you hmm? could say no. That it, like you had the ability to stop if something didn't fit your vision. Exactly. Yeah. Was the movie? Was it something? Was it going to be a similar arc? Did you always have this kind of like love story, like kind of emotional arc for Jack, where he comes from the bottom and climbs up? Yes. Yeah. It was always. Um, it was always a love story because I haven't really done it for real in my career, and I wanted to. I wanted to. F I wanted to see if we could succeed in having it be guttural, like you really felt for them, you really felt for his loss, and um, I wanted to be really emotional. You know, like I wanted to. I don't know if everybody's seen Love Story with uh, Ryan O'Neill way back in the day, but there's something very visceral about that story, and it's like it's gut wrenching. You know, and that's what love is, kind of. <laughs> right, honey? <laughs> and, uh, and so, but you wanted to do it. You wanted it to be a caricature of love. And, and to try to do it, it was really a big goal because to do it in animation, where you're so, especially with Jack, it's so stylized, can you do it? Can you get away with it? You know? And so that was, that was our challenge. That's awesome. When, I, I, I guess, at what point? At what point do you feel like you can finalize an idea with a new series? Like, what is the process? You're like, do you start with the kind of story you want to tell, or do you start with a bigger idea of the characters? Like, how do you? What's your process? The process is, I think, figuring out the the tone and the feel. Like, what am I trying to say? Then I'll start thinking about how am I going to say it. Is there a visual that pops into my head when I think of it? And generally, it's a it's a feel that I want to experience watching the show. So everything kind of starts from there. So for Primal, I wanted it to feel uh, like, like, like you're reading a pulp novel. Mm. It's brutal, it's raw, it's emotional, it's visceral, 
it's very drawn, it's very 2D, and and then I started from there. And then everything starts to, like, storytelling and filmmaking, it informs you, like, it, it talks to you. You know, and then your gut says, like, ooh, that's not feeling right. You know, like, actually, I started with, everything looked more like Tezuka hmm. designs. I was, like, into, like, I reread all the Astro Boy comics, and it was amazing, and and so I started to draw them very cartoony, and as the stories started to develop, I'm like, ah, oh, this just isn't right. You needed like those the kind of the heavy lines and like the very vivid backgrounds to tell that kind of pulpy story. Yeah, I want it to be just more gritty and yeah. dirty, you know, just so you could feel the, you know, it's still very beautiful, but uh, there's a there's a level of beautiful grit, <laughs> I guess, to it that you want it to be. Like it's like you know, like watching like Sergio Leone. You know, like their faces are so sweaty and disgusting, but it's almost poetic the way it is. You know, the the main character has a name, right? I don't remember it, but well, we call them uh, Spear and Fang. Spear and Fang. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I saw you can see Spear's face. He gets anguished, and it's just like a flash. You're what you were saying before. It's very quick, and then you move on to kind of something else, and it 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 his face really reflects that really well. Is there any? I mean, is there I'm trying to think of how do you how do you make sure that people can just tell emotion that quickly? Well, it's 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 definitely hard. I I you know with an adult show, I trust the audience that you're watching the show, you're paying attention to the show, and we try to draw it, but the right it's all part of story, storytelling. Right. Everything from the color to the shot choice, the musical choice or the sound effects choice, everything plays into the expression that we're trying to make, whether it's happy or sad or. or any of those things, and it's 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 hard. It's not you know, it's not easy. But then you're, and then discovering this new timing, you know, like I've been altering my timing through the years, and I'm like, yeah, I could I could do this longer. And I've had shots so much longer than I've ever had, and I'm so worried about it. But then once you start putting music on it, it just fills up the air, you know. Wow. What you've obviously talked a lot about your influences of Tex Avery. Chuck Jones, amazing animators that had timing. Their timing was all comedic, though. What do you think comedic timing can bring to a pulpy show like Primal? Well, with comedic timing, it's all about read. Read and rhythm, right? And that is the same thing with action. <clears throat> it's rhythm. So when if, a, if an action sequence is done really well, like if you ever watch Bruce Lee, you guys know who Bruce Lee is? Okay, just checking. <laughs> uh, Bruce Lee has a rhythm. So you watch a fight that he choreographed, it's very rhythmic. If you watch something else, like some normal uh, kung fu type stuff, it just, it just goes. But his stuff is very rhythmic. So you start to realize like, oh yeah, good action has good rhythm. Mm. You watch the beginning of Mad Max Fury Road. You know, that is such an amazing, beautiful sequence, but it's very rhythmic. There's short things and there's long things, you know. The worst action is when it's just fast, there's no rest, and you're just obliterated. Everything's at 11, right? And uh, and whenever, like, you know, Jaws, of course, the, the highs and lows are just, the ebb and flow is just beautiful. And so, you know, the Chase and French connection. And all these things are, you know, uh, they affected me. And I remember how I felt about it. And I'm always trying to capture a feeling with what I'm doing. It's never just uh, about how simple it is or whatever it is. It's just about this feeling. You, I, wanna, I want you to sit down and watch it. And I want you to feel this. And if I can get away with that, then I've succeeded. It's not action for action's sake. It is to evoke an emotion. For sure. And your, your storytelling during an action sequence, we're always telling something. 
you know, I mean, we get carried away sometimes, but <laughs> generally we're after a, a goal. Would you ever, I mean, you storyboarded Iron Man 2, correct? Would you ever storyboard action movies again to try to bring live action to the standard? Do you want to, like, hold it to? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking for the right project, and, uh, you know, and it hasn't come around, and I don't really see much of it. So to do, to do what I want to do, I need somebody to believe in me. That's really what it is. There's, you know, there's so much you can fight for without people finally saying, like, no, you're crazy. You know, but like if this, you know, Samurai Jack worked, it got me to the next level. Clone Wars worked, it got me to the next level. If Primal works, I don't know where that level is. But to be clear, I do love animation. And I'm not like, you know, hunting for that live action project. Animation isn't a stepping stone for me. It is what I love, you know. And so that's a big thing. Like I remember I had this meeting where I was getting a live action offer. And the executive said like, all right, you're ready to graduate. Wow. Like fuck you. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Sorry. And, I, that uh, makes me very yeah. mad. Just like yeah, no. Yeah. So it's so that's and that's the way people, especially I think in features, think about animation. Even though it makes more money than most live action movies, and the superhero movies are like cartoons basically. And so you know, there's not a level of respect for what we do. And so I'm always very tentative with live action because this is what I love. Yeah. Well, I mean. You've got two movies in the works with Sony, and uh, Spider-Verse broke big for them. Like, it kind of proved that animation could do, still do well and, with, and be experimental, right? Yeah, I mean, definitely it, 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 it helps, and you know, they did have Spidey to hang on. You know, I think if there was an original idea, I don't know, honestly, if they would have gone through with it all the way. Mm. You know, because it's Spider-Man, there's, uh, there's a lot of story behind the story, right? And so, but yeah, it's definitely opening up the gates a little bit and, and, and we'll see. You know, the success of Hotel Transylvania, the third one was huge for them. And so every, everything that's successful is a little building block, right? And you keep building these blocks and hopefully nobody's gonna knock them down before you get to do something, you know, in the, especially in the feature world, you know? Like I am doing what I wanna do in TV. Yeah. There is no, sacrifice that I'm making in this show. It is pure, you know, our vision of what we want to do. You know, it's, I don't know if anybody wants to watch it, but if this was a, you know, 14 year old Gendy or 12 or 16 or 18 or now, I would be glued to this show. It's just so, it's gonna be amazing to see how people react to something that doesn't feel like anything else on TV right now. Yeah, in this day and age, that's what you want, right? I mean, we've got so much competition. There's just shows, everywhere and what this thing what stands out you know that's the thing and so i can't i don't know why people even are doing shows that look like other shows you know everybody should be shooting for something different something new to stand out what stands out to you like what cartoons do you watch for fun or inspiration uh <laughs> next question whoa <laughs> no, uh, there's, there's yeah i mean i am a animation bitch i am i am such a snob I'm so picky about what I watch and what my animation needs to be. Can I can I ask you then a question that is definitely provocative? Uh, there's a group. There's definitely a group of people online who use a uh, have created a term Cal art style as a slur. How do you feel about that? Like, how do you feel about shows that kind of look that way? And how do you feel about that as a term? I mean, I think that's so dated. Yeah. First of all, I mean, it was what's it was our generation coming up doing flat stuff. That's basically what that meant because we were all inspired by the 50s stuff back then. So, you know, Dexter, Jack, Powerpuff Girls, all that stuff was very much 
the CalArts style, you know, now it's something completely different. They weren't doing this at CalArts. No. You know, this is nothing, this isn't, you know, this is the closest to this probably something in the 70s. Yeah. You know, like heavy metal or, or backsheet, but done really well, you know, animated at least, you know, without rotoscope or anything. So it's, it's, uh, that's an antiquated criticism. Yeah. What, if you had to, if you were 20 all right now and had to restart your career, what would you do? Like, how would you approach animation today, starting out? I would develop my own shows. I mean, there is so, it's, the market is so huge, why not give it a shot? And the, you know, that's all that's getting hired are young creators, you know? A lot of people my age are getting hired as the, I call them the grandfather roles. They get matched with a young creator who doesn't know what he or she is doing, and they kind of guide them through the production process. You know, and for me, that's what I would, uh, I would create shows and try to sell them because that market is open. Yeah. Is mentorship or something like that not appealing at, that, at your stage? Well, there's a difference between mentorship and being the father. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's like, oh, you know, I want to make sure we don't get in trouble or whether it's, but mentoring something like, oh, you want to do this creative? You could do this or you could do that. But making sure that you turn a storyboard in on time is not that, yes. that's not mentorship you know what i mean no that's a daddy thing where you're like you know <laughs> make sure you do your homework and it's 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 gross i i can't stand it <laughs> do you think uh, do you think that stories like primal or other kind of more evocative sto stories can be told in 3d animation yeah absolutely it's cg is just a medium it's not it's just a different pencil so we could do we could do primal uh, equally well in a different way. You know what I mean? This is just our choice. Mm. You know, we could have tried to get a bigger budget and tried to do CG, and we could have done all those things, but this is our choice. So CG is, in television, it's just a choice. You know what I mean? There's, there's no reason. Sometimes it's an easy way out because you just have the puppet, and the puppet does what you want it to do, while drawing is, you gotta draw it, you gotta figure it out, and it's, it's, it's you, you know? Yeah. And uh, or the single animator or whatever it is. It's it's and that's what makes drawing great. You know, so I think the for me the difference between CG and 2D is just a, a choice and uh <clears throat> you know, in TV it's still successful, in features it's still looked down upon. So um Do you think it is really? Like I mean, it, if it's looked down upon, why is it still being turned out? In in not in features. Oh, in features. I in meant. features, yeah, yeah, yeah. Features, it's pure CG. I mean, Spider Man is an anomaly, and they're selling it more as CG than two D. Yeah. They probably said it's something new, but you know, we could have done it drawn, you know. But because it's a it's it's like a trick. Yeah. It's like a mind trick, you know. You're watching CG, but it looks like drawings, you know. So it's it's and that part of it got very sexy. Yeah. I'm saying too much. <laughs> Well, there's only two of us up here, and they're not. Nobody's gonna read this. In here. <laughs> well, they're not here to listen to me talk. So, what? I mean, if it's not, you've said before you'd like to break stuff, and it seems like drawing allows you to break things more easily than having a puppet, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, Hotel Transylvania was that experiment. You know, can we do Tex Avery type stuff, Warner Brothers type stuff, uh, with these more. Um, with these puppets, and, and we did it. And ImageWorks, you know, they changed their whole system to kind of get into this type of style. And, and that's what made me <clears throat> makes me really think, like if you have the right person in charge gui guiding the way, you could do whatever you want. There's no, 
there's no limitations to it. So, um, so yeah, but for me, I do still prefer watching drawings on screen. There's something that's so satisfying emotionally, and maybe it's just a personal experience where, you know, I think I was like 13 or 14, and uh, they used to rerun the Disney films, the classics, every seven years, so Jungle Book came out, and I never saw it. And I went to a movie theater, and it was a sea of crazy children, like young, right? And I was by myself, and all of a sudden, the lights came down, and the, the movie started, and it was like one of the most, the, one of the best drawn draftsmanship movies. And I just got captured by the drawings and by the art, and I loved that feeling, and I really, I felt the drawings move. And, um, and I think that was like the beginning. I already loved animation, uh, secretly. I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that was like what sealed the deal for me. It was like, yeah, I want to I wanna do this if I could. So when do you feel like for you, your first, what was your first moment you're like, I am on the right path, I am doing the thing, like I can do this? Well, the right path and I can do this were two separate things. Uh, <laughs> the right path is when I got into CalArts. That was like, you know, because you just heard stories back then, uh, 1989, 90, where once you get into CalArts, you can get into Disney or you get hired right from the school, right? It's like, a, it's like an NFL draft from college, you, know, you just get plucked out back then just like that and you start working. So once I got into that school, I knew that I was good enough. Before that, I had no clue if I could do it, you know. And um, yeah, what was the path? Or no, that was the path. Oh yeah, when, you, when was the moment, you, that was the path, but when were you like, I can do this? I feel like, I feel like I'm making something that is, people are responding to and it's resonating with them. I guess somewhere in, during Dexter, you know, where maybe it was at the first screening of the very first Dexter short where we screened, I think, 10 or 12 of the shorts we made. Everybody was doing it. And when the Dexter shirt came out, people were laughing at the jokes. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. Like, it, it's, it works. And I think that was a very satisfying, big confidence boost for me that I could actually, that my ideas properly executed could emote a laugh. It's like I'm doing stand-up, but I don't have to be here. You know, it could all be through my drawings and the movement and the ideas. Yeah. This is, I mean, obviously now we're just making, torturing you by making you sit up here for a long time and talk. True. <laughs> what, I mean, what is something that would be your opus? What do you want to create, like, the biggest goal? Primal obviously seems like one. Yeah, I mean, to to get this type of show on the air and... Hopefully it's successful and people who have a giant reaction to it would be great. And I think doing something on an equal level in features would be fantastic. And just to repeat, just do something different every time, you know, and, uh, and see where it goes, you know. Like, you know, I want to have a career like Miyazaki or whatever. You know, he's got 11 films and they're all incredible in their own unique way. And so you want to be a director that's respected and you know if you're, walking into a Gendy show or movie, you would expect a certain thing, whether it be comedy or action or drama or whatever, but it's gonna be something different. And I think uh, I gotta keep making shit and, and, and try to get better at everything. And then that one will hit in a huge way and, and see what happens. So yeah, there's the infinite path forward is just keep making, right? Yeah, you gotta work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's it's the this is this is you know I'm super fortunate to be in this industry where I would be working for free, 
And because this is what I love doing, I get up every morning and I'm so excited to do this, you know, and to each drawing is exciting and the, the better I get, like it's definitely been easier because I've gotten better through the years. Like I struggled so much for my first, whatever, 15, 20 years, just drawing, you know, drawing is hard and I hold myself to a high level that I try to get to and sometimes you just can't get there. And it was the most frustrating thing and and now it's like I'm you know I'm turning 50 <laughs> and I'm starting to kind of get it a little bit you know and it's so frustrating because some some kids I see who are 17 18 can draw circles around me you know and it's incredible and 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 I never had that I had to work at everything like you know learning to draw was like learning to weld for me like it wasn't it wasn't nothing that came natural it was just brutally beating myself up and trying again and trying to draw twice as uh, twice as much as everybody else, just so I can get better and learn. It was a it was a giant process that's still happening. I mean, it sounds like you you're relentless. Is a good way to say it. Yeah, I'm 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 a very driven person for sure. You know, I I want it to be, I want everything to be at a certain quality. I want to be respected. I'm super competitive. I want to be the best. I want everything else to suck. <laughs> I don't want anything to succeed besides anything that I do, <laughs> and. <laughs> I have that spirit going into everything. So yes, I want Primal to be higher ratings than Rick and Morty, and I want it to be just as loved, and it's never gonna happen because it doesn't work that way with action, but that is my goal. That is the inner me is yelling at the outer me saying, you better make this the best you could be or I'm gonna be really upset, and if people shit on it, then I'm gonna make you cry. And <laughs> <laughs> No, it is. It's just I'm. I'm. This is my love. This is my passion, and it's been since I was ten, and I, it hasn't relented. Relented, is that right? And uh, it still drives me, and I feel like I'm just starting my career. That's the crazy part. That's amazing. Yeah, it feels like this is one of our first new shows. It. I don't even. I mean, do you plan to have a second season? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we want to. It definitely ends on a second season type of idea. Oh. And uh, we will probably do it eventually, hopefully. Uh, but I've got a lot of stuff lined up, like with Sony and everything. And so, but who knows? You know, you know we always talk about in Hollywood, you got to have seven projects that you're juggling, right? And it's, sometimes it feels like all seven are going to go. You're like, oh my God, we're gonna, how are we going to do all these? And then tomorrow, everything drops out. And you're like, crap. Jesus. And so it's brutal. And so... You want, so, so I have these things juggling, right? The year we did Samurai Jack, the last season, like everything went. We had four projects that we were kind of juggling and it was kind of scary because we did the Luke Cage comic and we did Jack and I did some other development thing that went through. And so uh, it was, and Hotel Transylvania at the same time. So it was, it was too much. And so now I'm trying to juggle, well, if, if we want to do a second season or if everybody's on board a second season, you got to get the audience reaction first, right? Yeah. Got to get ratings. And uh, how are we going to do it if we're into this new movie thing? You know, so it's, it's, it's hard. What do you sacrifice to get all this done? What is the, the thing you do less of? Uh, I don't know. Family? No? No? My wife says no. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are here. You guys feel like I'm around, right? Yeah. I just meant, I mean... <laughs> I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. I was just like, sleep, maybe? No, I'm, you know, I'm a five, six hour a night person of sleep. Uh, I'm not obsessed about sleep if I miss it. 
Uh, I work in the mornings, I work at night, after dinner. Um, yeah, I just work. It's not a secret. You just put in a lot of time and somehow the shit gets done. And, uh, and yeah, so I don't know what I've sacrificed. I don't think, I want to say I haven't, right? My wife agrees, so no sacrifice. No sacrifice, just work. That's, that's the slogan. <laughs> I mean, do you feel like there's anything that maybe you would never, now that you've learned so much in your career, what would you never do again? I don't want to say on the grounds that it will incriminate me. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to put myself in a situation where I'm not in control. Let's put it that way. Where really my decision is the last decision. Unless that's somebody over me, I so respect that I trust their decision wholeheartedly. Even then, I would have a hard time with it. Because mm. when, you, when you have a career, right, and everything that you've done for the most part works and gets you to the next step, right? And they're your decisions. And then all of a sudden somebody tells you, nope, you're doing it wrong. How do you accept that? You're like, but the last 20 years have gotten me to this point. Why am I doing it wrong all of a sudden? Right? Not that I don't make mistakes, of course, but we're talking about in the, in the big sense of mistakes. And, uh, and that's what I couldn't deal with, what I can't deal with. And I'm not going to put myself in a situation. And that's, Hollywood is hard. Hollywood is all about, you work for us, here's a certain amount of money, and then we're going to tell you how to do it. You know, and like Mike Lazo, who's our boss at um, Adult Swim, and he's the one who greenlit Dexter. So we've had this gigantic relationship, I think, like I said. And he said, he was looking over one of the primal episodes, and I do these video pitches, right? Where it's the storyboard, and I click through it in real time, so it's the full, you know, 30-minute episode in real time with me talking over it, doing effects and music and everything. And he watched it and he goes, you know, I have nothing to say. You're going to be a lot harder on it than I ever will. You know, and that's probably the first time any executive has said that ever. You know, and, and that's the thing. And, and, and he, because there's a trust and there's a respect. You know, and I'm not going to certainly tell him how to program a show. I don't know what all the ins and outs of programming is, and uh, and he respects what I do, and he's had for a long years, and and that's the best situation, you know, and that's how I want it to be. Yeah. Is the, I mean, you said that not necessarily that you would take the situation, but is there someone you would respect and work under that you'd be like, yep, yeah, this is great. Besides Mike. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I was talking more creative, yeah, probably. Yeah. You know, so like I don't know if if I got to work with Ridley Scott or somebody. You know, I mean, he's, you know, but even then, I'm like, if he says something I don't like, I'm gonna be a bitch about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can control that in me anymore. It's too. I'm too far gone. I'm. I'm. Uh, you yeah. are who you are. Right, and so that's the thing. I am. Uh, you know, I'm. I'm a fighter, and that's what it takes. It takes the strongest amount of will and conviction to get something through and made. And it's hard, because sometimes you'll get fired. Sometimes the people respect you. You're always walking that line between fired and respect. <laughs> you know? Like, I fought with people for three hours. And I'm like, I'm literally going to get fired after this meeting. And then they come back with, OK, we believe in what you're doing, no notes. It's like, what? Then why did we spend three hours fighting about this? And and it's and it was all and you start to realize all oh, right it was it was they were testing me how much I believe because when you've got eighty million hundred million dollars writing on something they want to believe you they 
they want to believe that you know what you're doing, right? And that's huge. And I totally, I started to understand it later. Like for them, it's a business. So here's $20 million for, for Dexter, you know? And I had to meet with the guy who's running all of Turner back then. And, and, uh, and I started to realize, right, I'm going to spend all of his money. You know, and I better know what I'm doing, so I better come off not like a buffoon, but somebody who kind of knows what I'm doing. And I was 25, and I'm sure I was half buffoon, half know what I'm doing, but that's the reality. And so when you go to features, and it's 80 million, 100 million dollar movies, that is a lot of money for one weekend. And you better, you know, that opening weekend, if you don't communicate everything, you're gone, and that money's gone like that plus publicity, plus marketing, all that stuff. And it's a brutal amount of pressure that they're under that then comes down to me. But at the same time, because I have all the conviction, I'm like, you let me do it my way and you're gonna make money. And you have to be that much of an asshole and that much, so much confidence. So they'll go, all right, well, this guy knows what he's talking about. Kinda, does he? I don't know, all right, you know. It, I mean, so the, the lessons we've learned from here are that you do have to learn to draw, but you also have to learn to be a huge asshole. No. <laughs> you have to believe and, you, and have you, have to, believe. you have to, the truth is you have to somehow convince other people to believe. And that is a very tricky thing. And, you, sh you know, I'm still learning how to do it. And sometimes your just artistic integrity just shines and you're like, wow, that is a creative person and I'm going to give him money. Mm. Other times you fight tooth and nail for it. And, uh, and if, if your one thing makes money or gets ratings, then you'll get the next thing, you know? And you don't, you know, we call it director jail. Like if you have something really bomb, you're like, ooh, how am I gonna get another job? <laughs> and it's, it's rough. And so anyway, so, so to stay on point, yes, you, wanna, you want people to believe in you. If you wanna be a, a, a director or somebody who's creating their own, your own content, Believe in yourself, believe in what you're doing, and have other people believe in what you're doing. Stay true to your gut and, and fight your way through. There is a fight coming. I think that's a perfect note to end on. There's a fight coming? That's <laughs> horrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. We, well, would, are, there any, are there anything else you would like to tell us about Primal? We have a minute left. It's coming out in October. It's uh, gonna be very unique and different tonight. We're showing uh, something else from it, which is gonna be great at the uh, Adult Swim by the Green or whatever they call it, Picnic by the Lake. Adult Swim on the Green. It sounds like a golf game, but mm -hmm. it's cool. And then, uh, yeah, so showed up to that, watch the show. I think I'm doing a little signing tomorrow. We've got these cool little postcards and that's it, and thank you. Thank you. Gendy Tartikovsky's Primal, October Adult Swim. Thank you so much, Gendy, I really thank appreciate you. it.